0: Turn to 1 Corinthians while they're while they're exiting uh, the stage. There, 1 Corinthians. We finished Jonah, and we are moving on to 1 Corinthians. We have officially uh, we've done some multiple series, but we've officially preached through two books of the Bible. So the good news is there's only 64 to go. So uh, we're we are moving along at just breakneck speed here. So uh, and. Uh, some of you are thinking, well, you took about eight weeks to go through a four-chapter book of Jonah. There's 16, in jo- There's 16 in 1 Corinthians, we'll be here a while. We'll be here a while. I don't think we'll be here so long where people will say, well, I joined the church in 1 Corinthians 2, and I joined the church in 1 Corinthians 3, and I joined... So, uh, Anthony, will you close that door there? So uh, we, we, I am, I am going to do my best to uh, be honest and, uh, and um, give honor to the text, but yet try to keep it moving. I mean, I know I, could, I can get bogged down real quick. There's a lot of details here, and, uh, but I'm going to do my best to spend no more than two weeks in each chapter, so pray for me. There's just a lot of good stuff here. But, but what I want to caution us with, there's also some uh, very challenging things in 1 Corinthians. If, if you're familiar with this book, Paul, Paul deals with some topics that are very challenging to us and to the, the culture that we live in. Uh, we're, gonna, we're going to look at some tough truths. We're, we're going to look at some truths that are going to startle some of us. We're going to look at some truths that are going to shake some of us. We're going to look at some truths that we're going to have a hard time dealing with those truths because of where we are maybe as a family, maybe, you are, maybe where you are individually, maybe something you're going through. The, the danger for all of us is to interpret the Bible based on our circumstances, based on where we are, based on decisions we've made, versus allowing the Bible to simply speak and then evaluating our lives accordingly held up to the Word of God. And, and hear me on the front end. If we talk about things in here and, and you're convicted, that's a good thing. If you're led to repent of decisions that you've made in the past, that's a good thing. I don't want you to hear me, I don't want you to hear the me judging, I don't want to hear condemning none of that as we deal with these passages. If you hear that, that that's the enemy talking to you. That's not Chris Basham talking to you. That, that's not the Word of God talking to you. Romans 8:1 says, For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and so as we as we deal with these, we may be wounded. <clears throat> We may be challenged to realize that we've made decisions in the past that maybe we shouldn't have made, that maybe we're sin. That maybe we've we've taken on more of the culture in our Christianity than we should. And maybe as we look at today and in next week as well, maybe the culture has impacted us more than we're impacting the culture. Maybe the Christianity that we have in America is an Americanized Christianity that doesn't translate to other parts of the world very well. Because we've interpreted the gospel based on our Americanized, materialistic, modern-day society. There's a challenge for us. To to live out this Word of God in the culture, and the context in which we live today. Not watering it down. Not not setting truths over here that we want to deal with and focus on the ones we do want to deal with. We're, We're going to look at things like church discipline... Hey, that is not high on the list of ways to grow a church in the year 2013. Church discipline. Not, not, you can read all the books you want. I guarantee you chapter 1 on how to grow a church is not church discipline. But chapter 5, Paul makes some very hard statements in there. He He says, I throw that guy out so that Satan would have his flesh so as to save his soul. That's a tough statement. Tough statement. Later on in that chapter, in verse 9, he tells us specifically that we are to judge one another within the church. That, That thing of don't judge unless you're judged, that's an Americanized worldly view. That is not a biblical view. We are to judge one another. The reality is Paul says don't judge those outside the church. You who are inside the church, you who are spiritual, you judge everything based on the word of God. Based on the word of God. That's tough stuff. In chapter 7, we're going to look at divorce and remarriage. This is probably the chapter that in my flesh I'm most nervous and scared about dealing with. I may be Anthony to preach that week. I may mysteriously be out of town that week. No, but, but I, want, I want you to... Because here's what. Every single person in this room today has been affected by divorce in one way or shape or form. I guarantee you every single person in this room has been. I, I can tell you every single one of my aunts and uncles except one has been divorced. Every single one of them. My my parents parents are the only ones in their family on both sides, other than my mom's brother, that has not personally been through it. It's it's personal. It's real. But but what I want to challenge us with is, is let's stick to what the Word of God says about it. And and there's a lot of disagreement, and I'm not going to try to tell you I've got it all figured out. But I do know that clearly the Bible does put some parameters around it. And I think we would all be honest, if we're, if we're willing to be, that we've gone way beyond the biblical grounds. That, that there are oftentimes we, we're times we're leaving our families for, for, for selfish reasons and not, not biblical reasons. If we're honest. If we're willing to be honest with ourselves. If we're and some of us, when we deal with that chapter, may realize that we've made some mistakes in the past we've made some decisions that have had great effects on those around us and even on ourselves, here's what I'm going to call you to do. Ask for forgiveness and repent. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, we, we live in a culture that de- has made, made sins, you know, we've ranked them and all this stuff. Repent. Repent. And, I, and I'm not in any way belittling sin. You know my heart. I'm saying there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. I'm not saying to treat sin lightly. But I am saying to deal with it rightly. Rightly. You know, we're going to look in in uh, verse 11. It talks about submission. I know that's a nasty word and we don't like to talk about submission. Paul talks about hair length. What in the world's going on in chapter 7? Talking about the length of hair. Come on now. Clearly I'm trying to be as biblical as I can be. That's all I'm telling y'all. Is I'm trying to be me and Matt Hewitt. We are toeing the line there on the hair. Donut, you over there, I know I saw you covering it up. We are toeing the line on this hair thing. Some of y'all are are getting a little too close to the line, men. Need a haircut. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Chapters 12 and 14, spiritual gifts. Again, very, here's what I don't want. I don't want this series to be divisive. What Satan wants to do more than anything is divide this church. He wants to divide any church. His number one goal for any church is to destroy unity. And especially if he can do it around the Word of God, that's even better. What I don't want is destroy the church. Karen, Karen was asking me, we were talking about these tough things. She says, are you sure? Is there not another book you can go to that maybe will be easier? I said, yeah, our, our history is going to read. We were going along well until Chris, Chris preached on 1 Corinthians. That'll be my legacy. But no, I, 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 hope, you know, I, I hope you know that, that I love you. But I love this word more. And I love this Lord. I love the Lord that this Bible speaks to more. And the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. This, this word may wound you at times, but know that God loves you. And it's His faithfulness that will cause you to be wounded at times, to, to bring you back. To bring you back. That we would be clean What we need more than anything is to be holy, not right. We need to be holy. We need to be chasing after the Lord, not trying to find ways to justify. If you come to this Bible with a preconceived notion, you will almost always find a reason to justify what you want it to say. If you come that way. If you come standing in submission over to this word versus submission under this word. And so please pray, please pray for me, pray for me, that I would be loving, caring, but that I would more than anything be true to the text. That I would be true to the text. And come what may, I pray that you will know that I love you, and that I pray that we would love each other enough to be gracious with one another, where we stumble, where we will stumble, maybe where we have stumbled. Because the number one thing Paul is calling for in my, my conviction here is unity in the midst of great diversity. It's unity in the midst of our sinfulness. It's unity in the midst of how we offend one another. It's unity in the midst of all those things that Satan wants to destroy. Paul is saying, no, you be unified around one thing, and it's the cross of Jesus Christ. Here's one thing we can all agree on, that Jesus was lived, died, and, and was buried, and three days later he rose again. And right there we can all find common footing because yours may be this, and mine may be this, and yours may be this, but we all come to the cross as sinners in need of forgiveness. Let's not rank them, let's not judge them in the sense of, well, yours is worse than mine. No, no, we come to the, we come to the cross as sinners in need of forgiveness. And, and, and the, point, the point that we are going to see here, the point that we're going to see is how does a church be a church in a, in a culture without that culture getting into the church and dividing. That, that's what Paul is calling for throughout this book, is how, how, do, how does the church at Corinth, Corinth, how does the church at Corinth, I'm still working on the English thing, how does the church at Corinth be the church it's supposed to be in the culture that it finds itself, without allowing that culture to get in the church? How do we in Odessa be the church that God has called us to be without letting the American culture get in the church? Because every single one of us, when we walked in here today, we brought the American culture into this church. Its views, its philosophies, its mindsets, they've infiltrated us and impacted us more than we even know. I am am a greater sinner than I ever realize at any given moment. And I bring all that stuff in here. I bring it to the Word. When I study, I bring it in here. How do we as a church not let the church get into us, and instead, how do we get into the culture? That's what I want to talk about. So with that, let's jump in. 1 Corinthians 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 17 today. Uh, Lord willing, 18 through 31. By the way, next week, Karen and I leave for, uh, out of town. It's our, uh, we, we celebrated 10 years of, a, of marriage this year, and if you were here last week, you understand the grace of God that that required for Karen to live with me for 10 years. Uh, that's an inside joke for those who were here last week. But, um, so, uh, we're going out of town for a few days. And so, if, if you, if something comes up ministerially speaking, call Greg Murphy at the main campus. I think the number may be listed in the horizon. Uh, he, he is the minister to, to family care. And uh, certainly you can call me, but there's not a whole lot that I'm going to be able to do for you other than pray for you while we're out of town. And as much as I love you guys, I love my wife more, so I won't be coming back. At least not for a few days. So, uh, um, Lord willing, we will come back. So, uh, um, and uh, but just so call Greg Murphy uh, at 264 uh, 1515. Greg Murphy, his, his wife is Sher- I mean, his wife, his ministry assistant is Cheryl Peace, and, and she, they will serve you. So, 1 Corinthians 1 Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. To those who have been sanctified in Jesus Christ, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. That in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I exhort you, brethren, to name the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and there be no divisions among you. Paul is going to make that statement many times throughout this book. "...but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul?" I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the house of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. So four things I want us to see in this passage today that, that Paul starts out this letter with. He starts his many of his letters out with these same truths. With these same truths. Because they're foundational. They're truths that we need to understand in order to understand what he's calling us to, what we're commanded to do. These are foundational. They're foundational. And the first thing Paul says in verses 1 and 2 is know whose you are. Know whose you are. He says, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes our brother to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Paul, Paul regularly begins by pointing out who he, but, not also, who, but also who his readers belong to. Paul, Paul wants you to know right from the start, he is reminding them, and, and he is reminding us who we belong to. He, he is putting them all on equal footing. They, they're, they're a church and they all are owned by the same master. We all come here owned by the same master as the church of God. We belong to the same master. And Paul is showing them that they have divine origins. This is not an earthly thing. This is a heavenly thing that's going on. Later in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul says, that you're, Do you not know that your body is a temple and that you do not belong to yourself, but you have been bought with a price? He's, tying, he's starting off giving them an overview of where he's going with this letter. He's saying, you have been bought with a price. The position, the place that you stand, you have been purchased. You have been given by grace. You are owned. You're owned. You're not your own. Believer, if, you're a believer, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not your own. And later on, you're going you're to read in 1 Corinthians 6 where they're going to argue. The Corinthians had a saying that said, all things are lawful. Paul says, yeah, all things are lawful. That's your saying, but not all things are profitable. He's going to go on to say, you know, hey, you know what? Are you free to eat meat? Yeah, but he's going to say in 1 Corinthians 6, right about 13 or something, if meat causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. Why? Because if it's causing division, I'm going to put it out. Because I'm not owned by me. Christ owns me. I exist to glorify Christ. Christ doesn't exist to glorify me. Paul says, know whose you are. And the church at Corinth was was at odds not only amongst itself, but they were at odds with Paul. They're at odds with their founder. They're they're struggling with with, uh, submitting themselves to Paul's authority over them. And Paul is saying, look here, my authority comes from our owner. I've been given authority over you by the grace of God. That's why he starts out that says, called as an apostle... Christ Jesus put me in this position. I didn't seek it out. Paul says later in other places to the contrary, I was running in the opposite direction and then the Lord Jesus met me on the road to Damascus and I became I'm a new person. I'm called to be an apostle. I have authority. But everything that we are as a church is by grace. We are we are that's the beauty of the church. All of us, you look around this room, we are so different. And yet we're united at the cross. We find common footing at the cross. The thing that brings us all together is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, who you are matters. We exist for and are sent from God. That's what Paul is saying. In John 3.30, you'll see John the, John the apostle, say, he, John the Baptist, rather, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. I, I remember Alistair Begg one time and I, I, go, I listen to him, he comes on the radio, if, and I'm tra- if I'm traveling around, I think 11.30 to 12, he comes on the radio, I try to listen to him, but he said, he said this, and it stuck with me forever, he says, you can, and, and typical in his accent, it sounds more theological in his accent, but you cannot simultaneously make much of yourself and make much of God. He went on to say, you're going to have to choose. You, you, can't, you can't spend your life trying to make much of Chris And make much of God at the same time. It doesn't work out that way. You're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose. And Paul is saying, knows who you are. Know know the relationship that you have with the one and only true God that is by grace through faith. That that God in love sent His Son to die on the cross that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You were invited into a relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords through grace. You belong to Him. If If you've applied that blood of Jesus Christ to your life, you belong to Him you belong to him and and paul continually in this letter we're going to see it he takes them back to their origins he takes them back to what made them a church he takes them back to where their common footing was he he takes them back so they understand whose they are you see it in in verse two you see it in verse nine paul says called into fellowship in verse twenty four he says you were called in verse twenty six he talks about their call to salvation it, it, God's calling is all over. He's saying, God initiated this. God chose you. He bought you. you know, it takes me back to the, to the playgrounds when they were picking teams. You never wanted to be that last one chosen. There was something very cool about having that person choose you. You, you, watch, you watch the professional leagues, if you ever watch their drafts, the build-up and the excitement of a team choosing of all the players they could choose, they choose you. Think about it. God chose you. He called you. He created you. Even in verse 2, look what he says. To the church of God. He says not only individually but you belong to God, but corporately as a church you belong to God. He has ownership of you. With that ownership comes great responsibility, and we'll see Paul reminds them of how lavishly God has has lavished uh, blessings and giftings they're not ill-equipped because of God they're ill-equipped because of their response to God they are the church of God they are located in Corinth but but they are of God it's not my church it's not your church it's not anybody else's church this church belongs to God And and what Paul is saying here from the outset, he uses words like sanctified and holy and saints. And what he's saying is you have been set apart. All of those words have in common this thought, the idea that God has set you apart for himself. He set you apart. He has set you apart for himself. We belong to God. It's like you going and he literally, I'll take that one. You may go to a car dealership, you need a new car, and of all the cars you could choose, you say, I'll take that one. You're not saying all the other ones are terrible. You're just saying, I want that one. And yet God, in His great love, He sent His Son to die and paid for the sins of the whole world that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord. Again, there's the balance. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. They're both there. They're both there. And He says, you belong to God. All of these things say this. We belong to God. We are here for God. We exist to bring glory to God. And for Paul, for Paul, God's call to salvation was essential. He takes you back to that moment of salvation and he says, hey, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. And God is, God through Paul is reminding us that our true allegiance is to God and not to man. Our true allegiance is to God. Why? Because he owns us. He bought us. He says later, he says, by the will of God, it was God's good pleasure to do this. You know, my kids belong to me. And I understand, I understand that theologically, that they ultimately belong to God. But they're mine to steward. They're a gift. Your your kids belong to you. They're yours to steward. There, There are things that you do in your household that we might not do in our household. There are things that we do that you might not do. There are things that we allow our kids to say, th- movies that we allow our kids to watch, places we allow our kids to go, clothes, we, we differ on a lot of things. Neither I'm not saying one is right or wrong, we differ. And, and the difference is what? Ownership. How, how many of you have children who have ever told you, well, Johnny's parents let him do this. Johnny's parents let him go there. You know what your response is? Well, my response to Bradley is, well, why don't you go see if Johnny's parents will let you live with him? Because until they say yes, you're going to play by my rules. But you know what? You say what? They're not your parents. The difference lies here. I'm your mama. I'm your daddy. Not them. And I own you. Until you get to be about 18, 19 years old and I throw you out, I own you. So, So if you don't like it, Bradley, Sarah... There's a lot of neighbors in this neighborhood. If you like them better, go see if they can live so if you so you can live with them. We'll go to, we'll go to Boston more often without you. <laughs> the point is this. Now think think about that. Think, think about how you feel when your kids say that to you. Now, how how about when we live the way we live? What do you think God, what do you think that says to God about the way he owns us? You know, what Bradley's saying to me when he and and Sarah is saying to me when we say that is, you're not fair. You're not right. The, the way you're making me live it isn't as good as the neighbor's parents. And we say the same thing to God sometimes without being so bold as to say it. Hey God, you're not a good God the way you love me. You're not a good God the way you know what the God of this world, the so called gods of this world, they take better care of theirs than you do of yours. That's the message we send. And, and Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians 1.26, he says, he's going to make this statement. He says, consider your calling, brethren. Consider your calling. And, and he's saying, think this through. Who do you belong to? He's saying, hey, go back. Go back to, to your origins. You had nothing to do with it. You, you weren't noble. You weren't, you, weren't, you weren't right. You weren't rich. You were not the ones that the world would have chosen, and yet God has given His salvation to you. I, I look in this room today, there's nobody noble. There's nobody that rolled out a red carpet and you walked in here on a red... There's nobody. We're, we're commoners. That's the beauty of God's grace. He, didn't just come to, he just didn't come to save the rich and the elite and the famous. He came to, cho- to, to save the down and out, the not noble, the sinners... And Paul says not only this, he says, remember whose you are. Have you ever stopped to consider who you belong to, who your father is? Have you ever stopped to consider that? That that you ever stopped to consider how you've been gifted? He's going to say here later in a few verses, he's going to remind them. You ever, I mean, sometimes I, I'll talk to Sarah and Bradley and I'll say, Do you understand? Go into these other countries and that, I'll say, Bradley, Sarah, do you understand how good you have it? And that's all by grace. Bradley and Sarah didn't choose to be born to Americans. I didn't choose to be born to an American parents. You didn't either. It's God's grace. God's grace. And Paul is saying, Paul is saying, times are going to get tough, but when they do, look back to whose you are for encouragement. When you struggle, when life, when this world, when all this stuff doesn't matter, up, believer, go back to this point, know whose you are. You're a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's adopted you. He's become a father to you. He's lavished love upon you. Get great strength in that. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. He has said in Romans 8, If I'm for you, I will, I, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, how will he not freely give us all things? He, he has said in Romans eight eighteen, For I do not consider the present sufferings worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. He said, I rejoice in great trial because of what it produces. It all goes back to whose you are. And the Corinthians are forgetting. They have forgotten whose they are. And I know in my life, and I'm just assuming in some of your lives, sometimes we forget whose we are. Sometimes we take ownership of our lives where God has ownership of our lives. Sometimes we like to play the role of sovereign over our lives or area of our lives. When the reality is is God is sovereign. He, there's only one sovereign. He has complete sovereignty over our lives. Every single aspect. Because He owns us. Not only know whose you are. Know whose you are. Secondly, know where you are. Know where you are. We, we need to know where we are. We need to understand the culture in which we find ourselves. Just like the church at Corinth needed to understand that, because where we are will impact what we face. Where we are will impact some of the onslaught of temptations and battles that we face. The, the day and age in which, he, in which we live in, Dr. Inns and I, we have lunch regularly, and, and um, you know, he has said many times, Chris, parents today have to deal with stuff that he and Helen never, in the wildest dreams, had to deal with. The times are changing. And where we are and the day and age that we live in has a huge impact. And the challenge for us as a church is to engage the culture without the culture getting into us. We're to go out there without the culture coming in here. And and Paul does this in a very, very masterful way. Throughout this book, he's going to address their slogans. He's going to address their vices. He's going to address all of that, and he's going to hold it up in comparison to the truths of the Bible. And he's going to bring them back. And he's going to show them ways that the culture has impacted them, ways that they have departed from the truth. And he's going to address false beliefs, and he's going to address right where they are. And he's going to say, look, right where you are, here's the truth. We need to be able to do that as a culture. We need to know what's going on. We need to know the times in which we live in. You know, I'm fully aware as a pastor, uh, Tom was just sharing with me, and I was getting a glass of water, and he was telling me there was a, a pastor in Lake Charles, Louisiana, a guy in the middle of the service just walked into church and shot him, killed him. That's the day and age we live in. There's pastors all over, all over the world being thrown in jail for preaching the truth of the gospel. That's the culture we live in. We need to know that. I have no doubt that at some point in, in my tenure, to speak out against the things the Bible speaks out again will, against will probably be considered hate crimes. Very real possibility to speak out against the things that the Bible speaks out against will be considered, already in Canada, pastors are being thrown in jail for speaking out against things that the Bible speaks out against. Not in public, but in their churches. It's coming. Know the culture. And the challenge for us, again, is to engage our culture without the culture making its way into the church. And and I I want you to understand, the culture that we live in today, as I study 1 Corinthians and I study Corinth, we live in a modern-day Corinth. Please know that. A modern day, if you study Corinth without knowing you're studying Corinth, you will think you're studying about America. It, it, is, it is unbelievable. L- listen to a little background. Corinth was a very, very wealthy seaport. It, it sat at a very strategic location. You, you had, you had uh, um, uh, Roman colonies there you had the, the, that, had, that had moved there had invaded the Greek colonies or people that had lived there. So you have the Greek and the Roman cultures colliding. It was a very, very wealthy seaport. The opportunity to make a lot of money existed in court. And guess what happens? The opportunity to make a lot of money attracts a lot of people. And people were making their way there from all over the place. And with them, they were bringing their culture They were bringing their vices. They were bringing their false beliefs. They were bringing everything with them to Corinth. And in Corinth, all these different people have made their way. Does that sound familiar? Sounds a little familiar to the culture in which we live in. People are making their way here from all over the place just to make money. And they're bringing with them their vices. They're bringing with their false religions. They're bringing all those things with them. And, And unfortunately, what you see happening... In Corinth is that their vices, the church begins to figure out how can I take all the vices of the world and yet the religion that we know and how do we blend them? How do we hold on to the ways of the world and the ways of God at the same time? How can we share these things even in the church? How can both of these things flourish? The reality is they can't. 1 John 2.15 says, If anyone loves the world, the, things of the, the, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't hold on to the world, and you can't hold on to, the, to, to your relationship with Christ at the same time. And, and Corinth, Corinth elevated intellectual freedom. Their, their slogan would have been, Live and let live. That sound familiar? No absolutes. That sound familiar? If you can think of it, do it. Do it. Believers began to sample religious teachings from all over the place. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little sprinkle of this, a little sprinkle of this. That's today. That's today. That's Christianity today in America. Talk shows, if they would have had cable TV, talk shows and soap operas would have flourished in Corinth. Flourished. Let's just debate it. Let's just debate it. Hey, if you think it's true... That's okay. It's true for you. That's the culture. Uh, the Personal selfishness was rampant. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That sound familiar? There, there was little concern for each other. It was all about yours and your own. They became more concerned about the individual than the whole. Sound familiar? It, it, was, a, it was a melting pot. It was extremely pagan. Every night, they had, they had the temple of, of Aphrodite there. And every night, listen to this. Every night, a thousand prostitutes would make their way from that temple down into the city to practice their religion. Every night. And they did that to honor God. That's how perverted this culture was. Thousand, every night, coming down into the city. And, and that was their way of worshiping. Of worshiping. It said, I read I read somewhere and it said in Paul's day, Corinth was LA, New York, and Las Vegas all at one time. All in one city. LA, New York, and Las Vegas, all of the same city. That was Corinth. And the real the reality, guys, is we live in a culture that's not much different today. We live in a city that, is, that people travel from far and wide to come down on Del Mabry south of, of I, what is that, 275 to visit all those businesses down there. They come from all around the world to go there. It's the capital of the world almost. That's the city we live in. And we've got to realize the things that are going on. We've got to realize that Satan is destroying families one at a time in the culture we live in through the computer, through the television. Through the media, through things that we're allowing to exist in our culture, we got to be, as parents especially, we got to be on the alert all the time. All the time. And we need to know what we're up against. We need to know what opportunities present ourselves. I'm grateful. I serve on the SAC committee at um, Odessa Elementary, and we had our first meeting this past Monday for the year. And they asked us to go around and introduce ourselves. And most of the people in there are, are teachers and, and admin. And then there's some people, some parents. And then there, was, uh, there were two outsiders, me and a man from Publix. And so I was about the last one to go. And I, she says, tell your, tell your name and why you're here. So the guy from Publix says he's here for business uh, or business, community relations or something like that. So she got to me and I said, man, I really don't know why I'm here other than to serve you. I said, my heart is simply to be a blessing to this school. And I, and I didn't even tell them who I was from. I just said, my name is Chris Basham, I'm a pastor. I'm just here to serve you. Well, the principal stopped and said, no, no, no. I, y'all need to know about Chris and his church. And she went on for the next five, 10 minutes bragging about the landscaping, about the tutoring that goes on from this church, about the teacher supplies, on and on and on to these people. I didn't say a word about it. But that's because of you. And we need to understand we have, we have opportunities in this community all around us if we'll take them, if we'll be alert to them. We need to understand that, look, there are rules against things, yes, but we can be wise. We can still, we can still impact the culture around us. In Acts thirteen thirty six. David dies, and it says, David served the Lord in his generation. He served the Lord in his. But for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. I pray that that's what they'll say about you and I. At the end of our lives, you know what? They served the Lord in the time frame and in the culture that they lived in. Not constantly looking back to the way things were or looking for things. They served the Lord in the context and the culture of where we live. That's what David did. That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Understand what's going on. Don't let the culture impact us. Focus on our mission. Do not vary from the mission. And and it goes way beyond just us, though. Look what he says. Saints by calling, in verse 2, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord. He's saying it goes, this mission and the purpose and your calling goes way beyond just here at Odessa. Every Christian church, every Bible-believing church all over the world is one church in God's eyes. Many local churches, we form one universal church. What we do here has a tremendous impact on churches and their testimonies all over the world. All over the world. We're one church. We need to understand, and just like the Corinthians, don't lose sight and think so myopically that it's just us. What goes on here is bigger than us. It goes way beyond just us. It, it, is a, it is in the context of a bigger picture. Our calling and God's people in a specific city goes way beyond just ourselves. It's a bigger picture. We share with all the saints everywhere, everywhere. My testimony affects your testimony. Your testimony affects mine. I had the opportunity of being, being excuse me, being blessed by what you did. What we did as a church. I mean, that school, she, I, came, I went up to, after her and just said, Hey, I want you to know, tell me anything that we can try to do to be a blessing. They, they have a need just for, they have to read 500 books to their kindergartners. They have a need at Odessa Elementary for just somebody to come into the classes and just read to kindergartners. Just read. 500 books. We can do that. Kimberly Thompson has agreed to organize that, but she needs volunteers. We can do that. It's Anytime you want to do it, anytime you can do it, 500 books. If you can read and you can maintain a pulse, you qualify. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. And I know some of you have children that are little. You're reading to your own schools. I read to my son's school. My wife reads to, her, to, to, to Sarah's school as well. And and some of you though have children who are out of the house and have free time that you could commit to that. You could go read books, you could go love on some kids. The opportunities are there. Will we focus on self or will we focus on the mission? You know, we can complain about not being able to be in the schools, or we can take out of the opportunities, we can take advantage of the opportunities that they give us to be in the schools. You know, we can sit back and complain, they won't let me stay on the rooftop and preach Christ, but they will let me go in and read to kids. The opportunities are there. Will we get past ourselves and will we take hold of them? That's the question in the context in which we live. So know whose you are, know where you are. Thirdly, know what you've been given. Know what you've been given. And Paul in verses 3 through 9 gives a tremendous list of blessings. And what the Corinthians were, they were like children or they were like adults who live in poverty because they don't realize that there's a million dollars sitting in the bank with their name on it. And unfortunately, many believers live that way as well. We live as orphans when we've been adopted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We live powerlessly when all power has been given to us. And when we have a direct relationship to the One who is all-powerful. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more exceedingly beyond anything we ever ask or think. Do you realize what power? Limitless power is at our disposal. Through the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's there. And and grace, Paul says, it's grace and peace to you. Grace speaks of God's free gift to us. But grace is not just forgive us, it empowers us. The way God loves us ought to empower us to take risks, to take chances, to live by faith, knowing that we have grace on our side, to be bold. Grace for Paul is the sum total of everything God has done, and he just sums it up. All the vast promises, he sums it up in one word, grace. Grace. He says, peace is yours. Peace is not the absence of problems, but it's wholeness in the midst of problems. It's the, it's the way you can stay together in the midst of problems. There will be troubles. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All throughout the Bible, persecution is a given. James 1.2, Therefore rejoice when you face trials of various trials of many kinds. Rejoice. Romans 5.3, Persecution, persecution. It brings about perseverance. And Paul says, in the midst of everything, I mean, this is a church that was causing him much trouble. And what does he say? I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God. This is a church that was causing him much trouble. And he says, I thank my God because of you. And Paul had real, the reason why Paul could say that is because he was thankful because of what God has done, is doing, and will do in them. He didn't forget that. It wasn't about him. It was about God. He said the same thing in Philippians. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. He says, hey, to be sure, some preach Christ in verse 15, To be sure, some preach Christ out of selfish motives. But he says, who cares? As long as Christ is preached. These are the same people that he says who cares about that are persecuting him, lying about him, taking advantage of him being in prison. Paul says, I don't care. I'm not my own. As long as Christ is preached. You know what he says to them? Hey, Christ, Christ is your father, let's go. I know you're persecuting me, let's go. And, and there's an important lesson here. Instead of complaining about the problem, Paul focuses on the blessing. We can spend a lot of times complaining, or, or we can focus on what God has blessed us with. And it changes our whole perspective. And what Paul is saying here is the problem is not with The problem is not with their gifting and what God has done. The problem is with their response to what God has done. And the problem in our lives sometimes is that we don't appropriate what we've been given in Christ. We don't tap into it. We don't appropriate it. Because of our lack of knowledge of the Word of God, we don't even know about it. And it's sitting there. It's sitting there. And Paul is trying to redirect their focus. Look at verse 4. He says, the grace of God. Look at verse 5. He says, enriched in in Him. Verse 6, the testimony about Christ. Verse 7, what they were ultimately waiting for was found in the return of Christ. Verse 8, Christ will confirm them in the end. Verse 9, God is faithful. Paul turns everything, all their attention back to God. He says, "Get get your focus off self. Focus on what God has done and is doing and will do. Focus on God's activity. Focus on His grace. Look look with me at 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9. One of my my favorite passages. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9. I'm going to read it. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours, hear this, and are increasing... They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. This passage right here destroys the let go and let God. I know it's a cool little song, Jesus Take the Wheel and all this stuff. That's a cool song. Not real theological, but it's cool. It has great lyrics. Real popular. No, no, no. Applying all diligence. Add to your faith all these things. Pursuing all these things. No, it's, it's, it is work. Not to earn my salvation, but it's work to pursue what God has done. To grow in the grace which God has given me. To, to add to my character. To grow. God has done all that, but I'm becoming what He has already called me to be. That's the Christian life. It's not earning my salvation. It's it's living up to that which I've been called. Add to your faith. He's saying grow. In in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, he's he's saying, I couldn't come to you as spiritual men, but as to infants. I couldn't come to you bringing spiritual meat. I had to come milk. He says, by this time, you should have been teachers, but you're still on the elemental things of truth. You've been a believer long enough that I ought to have been able to come to you With meat. And you know what? I had to come to you with milk in a bottle. Because by that you're immature. You're not growing. You're not appropriating what God has provided for you. And some of us in here may say, you know what? I've been a Christian for 20 years. If you physically were developed after 20 years like you are spiritually, some of us would be going to a doctor. Some of us would be wondering what is wrong if physically we look like what we look like spiritually after 20 years of walking with Christ. Underdeveloped? Malnourished? We need to be growing. We need to be appropriating that what Christ has given us. And he's saying, don't forget in the midst of everything, don't forget in the midst of opposition, in the midst of trials, don't forget what you've been given. And he's saying, keep your eyes focused on Christ and not the culture around you. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. Don't be short-sighted. Don't forget your former purification from sin. Don't forget whose you are. Don't forget where you are. Don't forget what you've been given. Don't forget that one day Christ is coming back for you. He says that. Don't forget. He's coming back for you. All throughout Jesus' walk, he, he reminded them through parables and that, hey, Are you going to be ready? He did that with the the virgins and with their lampstand. Hey, are you going to be found ready when I return? Or or has the lamp burned out? Is there no more oil? Are you going to be ready? And and I pray that we would be a church that, that, that takes advantage of the opportunities in this culture we have, focuses on the blessings, and doesn't focus on the petty things. Doesn't focus on the trials. Doesn't focus on the... The, con- the circumstances, but instead focuses on Christ and His blessings. It doesn't focus on the myriad of ways that I might hurt your feelings or offend you or you might offend me, but instead focus on the fact that though we are different, Christ has made us one. That though we come here from all different walks and backgrounds, it's in Jesus Christ that we're one. Know what we've been given. And lastly, lastly, knows who you are, know whose you are, know where you are, know what you've been given Know how to respond, he says. Know how to respond. Verses 10 through 17, that's what Paul is saying. Know how to respond. It's, we mentioned 1 Corinthians 19 and 20. It says, Or do you not know that you are the temple of the holy God and that you are not your own? You have been bought for a price. The end of that verse says this, Therefore glorify God in your body. The response To what God has done is to glorify God in your body. We, we've said it many times, but it, you go back to it, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul has 11 chapters, he is focused on what God has done for you, believer. And he says in verse 12, 1, Therefore, I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a, living, as a spiritual sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The response is to offer your whole self to God. That's the response. The response is, how do I live in the culture that which I find myself in and not allow the culture to get into me, to be a church in this city, but not let the city get into the church? Because when the city gets into the church, the church ceases to be the church, and we tend to focus on things that we ought not to be focused on, and we become divided. And the question is: the question is this: How do we go into the world without go into the world without the world going into us? How do we get into the world without the world getting to us? You know, we're 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 headed. I don't know. We're we're headed to Boston today. We've we've never been to Boston. Uh, Jimmy and Allison went to Boston. They loved it, and we trust them. And so we're going to Boston. So if y'all lied to us, we're gonna be in we're gonna be in trouble. But uh, we're we're going to Boston, and it's chilly in Boston. And and. The, the conflict this week was, how does Karen get all of her warm clothes? She's, she's confusing 70 with 30, I think. But how does she get all these big old jackets and all these warm clothes and the thing? But see, the point is, we're going to Boston and it's cold. When, when your kids, when it's about to get cold, you're going to send your kids to school when it's cold. What do you do? You put a jacket on them. You can't cease to send them out into the world when it gets cold. You put a jacket on them. And what's the purpose of you putting a jacket on them? You want to send them into the cold, but you don't want the cold to get into them. That's the point of wearing a jacket. I've got to go into the cold, but I don't want the cold. Some of you bring a jacket here because you're saying, I'm going into the cold, I don't want the cold to get into me. That's Daniel's fault, by the way. That boy comes in here and turns that temperature down so far. So blame him. Don't call me. That's drenner at idawild.org, not see Basham. Send him all your requests for specific temperatures. Heidi, I don't know how you live with that boy. But the point is this. We have to insulate ourselves. We need to insulate ourselves as believers, not isolate ourselves. The Word of God is like a coat. We put the Word of God in us so that I can go into the world and the world doesn't get into me. I can go into the world and be effective in the world and the world doesn't get into me. It's just like you putting a jacket on your kid. You're going to send him to school into the cold, but you don't want the cold to get into him. We, we can't isolate ourselves. We've got to insulate ourselves, and we do that through the Word of God. The, the problem with the Corinthian church, the problem with churches today, is they were not responding well to the grace that they had been given. They were forgetting whose they were, where they were, why they existed. And the church fails when it adopts the ideas and the activities of its environment rather than those that are revealed in God's Word. And there's a tendency for us to socialize the gospel, to water down the gospel, to make it more palatable. They were doing that. To to make it more friendly. To make it more user-friendly. And we we don't need to catch the spirit of our age. We need to correct the spirit of our age. And the gospel does that. And when you're kids, that's why Karen is not here, because Sarah has caught something. Something in the environment she caught. She's sick. And and we need to be sure that we don't catch our culture, but that we correct our culture. Don't let the culture get into us. We need to get into our culture. And, And we need to fulfill our function in the city in which we exist. And the takeaway for us is this, the influence of the church, what Paul is saying is the influence of of the church is no greater than that of its individual members. This church will be as great or as not great as the work of its individual members. It's you and I. It's not because our Savior is not great. It's not because we don't serve a, a powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. It's that we're not appropriating what He's done for us. And the sum of our members' activities will be the influence of this culture. We come here together, and guess what? I'll bet there's 20, 30 different neighborhoods represented here in this, in this congregation alone. What's the impact that we're having in those neighborhoods? There, there's West Chase, there's Newport Ritchie, there's Trinity, there's Land of Lakes, there's Lutes, Spring Hill. What's the impact we're having in those places? That's going to be the impact that this church has. The sum of its individual members. And and there is in our culture this great tendency to to make everything right and do this and that. There should always, hear me, there should always be some sort of conflict between the church and the city that exists in. There will always be some sort of conflict. They're They're not going to pursue the Bible at all points. That's the point. We do. There will always be some sort of conflict. And if there's no conflict, it's probably because the church is buckled. And the message of the church must always be the message of Jesus Christ, Him crucified and Him resurrected. That will create conflict. We cannot take that apart. We cannot take that out of what we do. It is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And the world is watching. How is the church treating one another? What do you think think the city of Corinth thought when the church in Corinth was divided? When the church at Corinth was doing everything that they were doing? Loses its influence. And and, and I pray that we would be a church that loves one another, but that loves those around us outside of these walls enough to, to take a risk for the glory of God. That we would live at all costs to the glory of God, that we won't back down, that we won't cater to our culture, but that will toe the line. That will stand up in the midst of our culture and say, we're not buckling. We're not doing that. And so my question to you in closing is, how have you insulated yourself from the world? How have you insulated yourself? Not isolated yourself. How have you insulated? In what ways are you insulating yourself that you can go out into the world, but the world doesn't get into you?